Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is God's word. Well, I want to begin by saying I don't have a gambling problem. Now, let me clarify, I'm not speaking about myself. Uh, that is a quote that stuck with me from the latest documentary on Michael Jordan called The Last Dance. Uh, perhaps you were entertained by it on Netflix. Even my wife, who's not really a sports fan, uh, she was thoroughly entertained by the series. And uh, as they're unfolding the life of Michael Jordan, uh, they report that at one point his gambling came into the spotlight and it was consuming the headlines. And in his response to all the questions, he said, I don't have a gambling problem. And he went on to explain, I do have a competition problem, but I don't have a gambling problem. Now, I want to give Michael Jordan some credit there because he's getting to a root issue. Uh, the gambling, yes, it probably was a surface issue, and he said that he has a competition problem. As much as he competes with his boys to play checkers, as much as he competes and needs to win on the basketball court, uh, gambling was just another manifestation for his root problem, which is a competition problem. So credit to Jordan for trying to get to the problem underneath the problem. Now, I start this way because uh, all of us have underlying motives. And we would do well, whether you are a Christian or not, uh, we would do well to reflect on our underlying motives and our root motives and issues. And so I want to ask you, in your life, uh, what is your underlying motive? What is your underlying motive to get up every day, to go to work, to relate to people, to respond, and how you respond to situations, be it stress or happy situations? And, and what's your underlying motive to rest uh, at the end of the day or on the weekends? What is your underlying motive, more broadly speaking, panning out to what's going on in the world? And as we continue to navigate this pandemic, what's your underlying motive to navigate courageously uh, this season of pandemic? What is your underlying strength, your underlying hope? We need to think through these things. And all the more, if you have placed your faith in Christ, uh, if you have signed up to follow Jesus and you've placed your faith in him, Part of the journey of a Christ follower is experiencing the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity God, the Holy Spirit continuing to apply God's grace and apply the gospel to ever-deepening layers of our hearts and ever-deepening underlying motives of our hearts. So we want to pray with the psalmist David, this beautiful prayer in Psalm 139, search me Oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jordan 
Michael Jordan, that is, would have done well to go deeper and ask, why do I need to compete and win so badly? How is my identity just wrapped up with winning and tied to that? And oh, how sweet it is when Jesus' grace frees us from the deepest strife as we rest in his perfect love and perfect work for you and me. And so as we start turning to look at today's passage, uh, Jesus, he is wrapping up his motivational talk, so to speak. He's wrapping up his instructions and his vision for his disciples who are now called apostles, sent ones. He's given them instructions and what to expect. And today's passage is his conclusion uh, of just trying to give them instructions and a vision and motivation for going out on this mission. And so I hope by the end of uh, the, the sermon that you'll be stirred along with me to want to pray, to want to pray to God something similar to this. Our Father in heaven, just give me Jesus and help me give Jesus. Our Father in heaven, help me, uh, just give me Jesus, that he would become my most underlying motive and reason, and help me to give Jesus, that that would be the best gift that I could give to others. Uh, what I want to do then for uh, the rest of our time in this passage is just to ask the big, big, big picture question, excuse me, uh, how does Jesus ask us to make him our motivation? We're going to see that Jesus is giving an ultimate reason for mission. He's giving his disciples then, his 12 apostles, sent ones, but we're going to see that it's applicable to you and me today if we've placed our faith in Christ and if you are still investigating, this is the invitation to accept Jesus' invitation to place faith in him and to have a wonderful new overarching mission for your life. And he's giving us an, a reason to be on that mission. And so we want to ask the question, how does Jesus ask us to make him our motivation? So first, each and every morning, answer Jesus' call to represent him. I hope this becomes an increasingly habitual daily rhythm for all of us. That each and every morning, what, what gives us energy, what gives us a spring in our step, what gets us out of bed and able to get the ball rolling, to wash our face, to get dressed, and to go out and face the day, would be that we have a clear sense, a real concrete sense, of answering Jesus' call to represent him. Where do we see this? Well, let's turn to the passage then. Uh, verse 40, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus is clearly saying that his disciples that he is commissioning right now, that in Jesus' eyes, they are to be received as Jesus himself. As his 12 uh, disciples, now apostles, sent ones, are going out to share the gospel and to share this news that there is eternal life, that Christ's kingdom is near as people place their faith in Jesus and they open up their hearts and minds to that message, Jesus is saying that as they, the, these listeners, these Israelites, listen to the message and receive this message and receive the apostles and their message, that it is akin to receiving Jesus himself. And Jesus goes on further to say that 
because they're accepting the disciples and their message and therefore accepting Jesus, they're accepting the one who has sent Jesus, meaning our Father in heaven, God the Father in heaven. It was commonly understood during Jesus' time that a man's agent must be received as the man himself. Now, I want to summarize all of what Jesus is saying into one word. And the word is this, ambassador. That's a familiar word for us in English. And an ambassador is an agent commissioned by a government to go to a foreign land and to establish diplomatic relations with that government. The ambassador's role is to represent the country, the leader, the, the government, and to establish peaceful relations. And what Jesus is essentially telling his disciples then, some 2,000 years ago, and still to us today, because we're going to see a few verses later that Jesus actually broadens this last concluding, uh, these few paragraphs, these verses, to apply to all his disciples and so even in Toronto 2020 today, this applies to you and me, that we are Christ's ambassadors. Christ calls us to represent him, to be his ambassador. Now, I read a wonderful article by a fellow named Elliot Clark this past week and really helped me uh, to just wrap my mind around um, just the gist of this week's passage. And, and he says this, that ambassadors are exiles on purpose. Ambassadors are, on, are exiles on purpose, meaning they've left their homeland and they long to be back in their homeland, but they have willingly, purposefully gone to another foreign land to do that good work, to accomplish that mission of establishing diplomatic relations and creating peace. And so they have been exiled on purpose for a certain mission and goals related to that mission. Now let's apply that to Christ followers. Christ followers then are ambassadors for Christ who are exiles on purpose. Ambassadors for Christ Jesus are also exiles on purpose. And I've found in my own walk with Christ, some two decades or, or so walking with Jesus by faith, that increasingly I find myself, as I draw near and near, as grace draws me closer and closer to the heart of God and to Christ and his values, his vision, just belief that there's life after this life, his ethics, I find myself, one part of me, increasingly uh, just out of place in this world. This world and all that it chases, the values it lives after, its ethics and so forth, increasingly become so different from what Jesus calls us to. And so in that sense, I feel on one hand, I'm in exile, and perhaps you feel like that too. But on the other hand, we are never to forget as Jesus followers, as his church, that there is a certain sentness, that Jesus has sent us, just as he was sending the apostles uh, in this passage to share his gospel and to represent Christ in word and deed, Jesus is also still sending you and I, those who have placed faith in him, those of us who are collectively the church of Jesus Christ, he's sending us into the world. And so we are exiles on purpose as well. We're not meant to just be exiles, period, and feel like we need to be in a bubble and separate ourselves. No, we are distinctly of Christ uh, in the world, but not of it. And so Christ followers are not of this world. We come to understand that we are passing through 
And our ultimate final home is not your address and your postal code here in Toronto, but your final home is in the new creation, reconciled to God one day. But even while we are not of this world, we are exiles on purpose because we remember we live on the edge of our sentness. We live on the edge of that identity of being sent by Jesus. We are sent into the world. I love how Elliot Carp puts it in the article that I read. And he says, we're here, meaning Christ followers, sent on a mission. We shouldn't see ourselves primarily as exiles, but as ambassadors of Christ wherever he's placed us among our families, communities, and places of business. We're there to graciously represent Christ and faithfully present his gospel to others. While this role doesn't come with the guarantee of comfort and security, we should see it for the incredible privilege and responsibility it is. You see, again, we should never forget, we should be reminded each and every morning that we are representatives of Christ himself. What a privilege to speak and act for Jesus on his behalf. So answer Jesus' call to represent him each and every morning. That's how we're going to uh, just grow deeper in finding Jesus as our ultimate underlying motivation. Well, again, asking that question, how does Jesus ask us to make him our motivation? Next, each and every morning, redefine the reward you're living for. We need to redefine the reward that you and I are living for. One way to understand the Christian journey while we're here on earth, uh, one way to understand what it means to be a Christ follower is that it is a life of being led by the Holy Spirit, a spirit-led and lifelong journey of, quote-unquote, redefining certain things. Now, I put R-E, re, in quotes because we're not actually redefining and just making up our own definitions by our own whims of who God is and what it means to be Christian. We're, we're actually reorienting ourselves. We're returning to what God originally has defined it uh, as life to be and who he is. And so we need to redefine God, our identity, our mission, our reward, the ultimate reward that we're living for in this life, according to Jesus and Scripture. That's our authority. That's our, 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 uh, what defines these things. So I just want to make that clear. I'm not saying to just make up our own ideas of God that are convenient and, and fit our life. No, we redefine according to Jesus. If you look at Jesus, then you know who God is. And, and we know even from Jesus' life that he affirms Scripture and he's left us scripture, revealed scripture, divinely inspired and revealed scripture to know who God is, to know our identity, to rediscover that in Christ, and to have a clear sense, an acute sense of our mission in this life, our ultimate mission, and our ultimate reward. So let's get a little bit self-reflective. Who or what is your God? Where do you find your identity? What is your mission? What reward are you ultimately living for? If you're serious about um, making the most of this life, you need to pause and do the hard work of reflecting on these questions and being able to articulate for yourself 
uh, answers, your own answers to these questions. And, and as you wrestle with these things, I hope that you will uh, deeply and sincerely consider Christ and how he wants to redefine, and especially today, how he wants to redefine our reward. Look, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ, meaning we have a mission. Ambassadors are sent on a mission. A mission has goals, and our reward, the ambassador's reward, is being able to accomplish that mission, to accomplish that goal. And what I want to show you in the next verse is that Jesus, he re redefines our rewards. So let's think specifically about what our reward is and if it matches up to how Jesus defines what our reward should be. So verse 41, the one who receives, that's the one who's listening, okay? That was literally the Israelite who heard the gospel and placed their faith in Christ and believed. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet, now notice here, reward. He will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Now, I know that can, on the surface, sound a little bit confusing because, and I mean this as a compliment, as we've been combing through Matthew, I've realized that Jesus, he speaks in such sagely matters, and I mean this as a compliment, almost like a Yoda, and you have to just slow down and really decipher what this wise teacher Jesus is saying. And he says things and teaches things in a way that he's looking for those who really want to chew on his words and really seek to understand. And so let's organize our thoughts here. I've already explained that the one who receives, at first literally, when Jesus was saying this to his disciples, it literally meant an Israelite who hears the gospel and believes. But it's also applicable to you and me here in Toronto 2020, in, in the 21st century, by application. This is anyone to whom we share about Jesus, the gospel, and grace, and they believe. So the one who receives, the one who will believe in Christ. And I want you to notice that they receive first a prophet and a righteous person. And simply put, these are synonyms for you and I being ambassadors. The, the notion here are those that Jesus um, is sending to represent him. And so Jesus here first is elaborating on our identity as Christ's representatives. He's elaborating on what it means to be his ambassador. And Christ's ambassadors are first uh, prophet-like and they're righteous. What is a prophet? As we look at Scripture, Scripture is always the best explainer of Scripture. In Scripture, we see that a prophet is someone commissioned by God and very uh, distinctively to speak. A prophet speaks God's truth and message to a specific people at specific times for specific impact. And when Jesus speaks about a righteous person, as we uh, just glance over Scripture and overarchingly, what is a righteous person in Scripture? A righteous person is one whose hands and heart are declared clean before God's judgment seat. That's a righteous person. And so really it's thinking of someone and their actions, someone and their conduct, their hand and heart are declared innocent and clean before God and his judgment seat. And so Christ, he's elaborating that his representatives, his ambassadors are prophetic and righteous. To put it differently... Christ's ambassadors represent Jesus 
in word and deed. This is an important check and balance for those uh, who would claim to be Christ followers. We need to be walking a certain path where we walk the talk, even though we might be stumbling and falling, that we are constantly headed in one straight direction to believe in our hearts, to speak what we believe is, is God's ways and his good news of grace in Jesus Christ, and to live it out in our speech and conduct. But also, Jesus, he's giving an inspiring vision to his disciples. Remember, he's wrapping up his instructions and he's about to say, ready, set, go to his disciples to go and share of him and the kingdom that's coming. And so Jesus is also giving an inspiring vision of a reward. Jesus is speaking of reward, and he mentions rewards twice, and he wants us to motivate the disciples, the apostles, while they are on mission. And this is still applicable to you and me. We're meant to be motivated by a certain reward. And so what is this reward that we're to redefine each and every morning? And so Jesus, he says here, again, looking at verse 41, the reward is a prophet's reward, and the reward is a righteous person's reward. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, if you think of a prophet, and the main gist of their function is to speak a certain truth, the way you can tell a true prophet is when what they say comes true. That's a prophet's reward, that what they speak comes true, and it's validated. What's a righteous person's reward? It's when their actions are vindicated and validated, that they are declared what they have done and said at the end and the final analysis is actually right, and it's deemed and judged uh, innocent and, and declared clean and right. Now, when we think of these rewards of a prophet being, there's their words and their speech being validated and coming true, and a righteous person being vindicated for their actions, the, the ex final extrapolation of all that for, for this specific prophet who's speaking of Jesus is that Jesus actually ends up being the person that he says he is. Ultimately, this will happen in eternity. This will happen when Jesus returns and all of humanity through all history will finally see that Jesus is who he says he is. And we'll see Jesus as king, as savior, as the one who came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. And we will see Jesus as the righteous one. The Christ follower believes that Jesus himself is the most beautiful and glorious reward. We will see Jesus that there is only one righteous, only one who is ultimately perfect in this life. And for all of us, we will also have that righteous person's reward when we find ourselves on that final day in union with Christ. And this amazing thing called grace, where Jesus' singular righteousness is also placed on us. And despite our imperfections, our shortcomings, that God graciously delights to see us through his son Jesus. And we will have that righteous person's reward. But I want you to not miss that all of this culminates in the person Jesus. And so Christ's followers believe that Jesus himself the prophet's reward and the righteous person's reward ultimately is Jesus himself. But finally, 
as we ask, how do we ask, or how does Jesus ask us to make him our motivation? We not only need to realize every morning, remember every morning that we are Christ's representative and that that would be our driving energy and, and motivation through the day. And we're not only to redefine our reward. See, our, our reward, our, our greatest delight, what's meant to give us energy and motivation to keep living and relating to people and working hard and so forth, ultimately is that we see more and more people experience the joy of seeing Jesus for who he is, that Jesus becomes their salvation. But there's a third way then this is going to happen. We need to let overflowing grace be an important feedback loop each and every evening. You see what I did there? Now, I know it doesn't explicitly come out of the text, but the first two actions or, or um, just points, they're in the morning. And I want to give you, I want to give you uh, some rhythms for the morning, the way to start your day. But I also want you to have a rhythm in the evening as you settle down your thoughts, your, your body, as you lay to rest on your pillow, that you would look back on the day because here I think Jesus provides a very practical way to look back on our day. And the way to sort of evaluate the day is, is to ask, did, did I experience overflowing grace as an important feedback loop? Where, where do we see this? Verse 42. And Jesus concludes, And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple... Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. I want you to notice here that Jesus is giving a promise. When Jesus says truly or verily, he is making a promise. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, mark my words. I am promising you. I'm giving you my word. He will by no means lose his reward. Jesus is describing a fail-safe here. Jesus is describing a way to find ourselves at the finish line and to win the prize, to find ourselves being welcomed home to the new creation and in perfect life with God forever. So what is this? What, what is Jesus saying? Is, what, what is Jesus providing as this fail-safe that we by no means will lose our reward? I think Jesus... A is saying that he's describing a real Christ-following faith, a genuine Christ-following faith, which synonymously is a persevering uh, faith to the finish line, crashing through quitting points. And, and no matter what circumstances life takes us through, no matter how difficult and testing life becomes, that we persevere in faith to the finish line. And through it all, what that means is meditating on Jesus' grace and um, just producing good works in our lives that are motivated by gratitude for Jesus' grace. Where, where do I see this in verse 42? Well, when Jesus says, he's describing this person, whoever gives one of these little ones, that whoever is the one who has placed faith in Jesus. They've heard the gospel, and they're placing faith in Jesus. And Jesus describes this person as a disciple. And there you go. That right there, Jesus identifying a disciple is a person of real Christ-following faith. 
someone who would learn of Jesus and his grace and, and his ways, his ethics, and so forth. But Jesus goes on to say, and I've already described this, he says, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And Jesus is describing there the finish line, that this disciple who's been living out a real, genuine, Christ-following faith has made it to the end, and there will be a reward for him and her. But we also see Jesus describing works, good works that are motivated by gratitude for Jesus' grace. We see this in the fact that Jesus describes this whoever, this person, this whoever is the person who has heard the gospel and believed and placed their faith in Jesus. And what do they do? They give. There's a generosity. There's something that comes from out of them naturally and spontaneously. And Jesus paints this beautiful picture of of giving. And we don't have time to get into uh, what these little ones mean. But if you'll just trust me that Jesus is referring to his disciples who he has sent and they've shared the gospel. And now the one who's believed is wanting to just give back to those who've shared the gospel with them. But the focal point is that this beautiful, refreshing picture of giving a, a, a cup of cold water. And why? Because. I want you to notice that these new believers, they give and they have a motive. They have a motivation because they are a disciple, meaning because they've experienced the wonderful grace of Christ in their life to heal, to forgive, to, to redeem. And so they give because that they're motivated by gratitude for Jesus Christ' uh, Jesus' grace as they meditate on Jesus' grace. Now this image of a cup of cold water, this is beautiful. And Jesus is symbolizing something here. You see, a cup of cold water was the gift of a poor person. It was the least that someone in poverty could extend as a show of appreciation. I've experienced that when I've gone to places around the world that are impoverished. And as you're doing life with uh, people in these impoverished villages, and, and they bring the smallest little just grain or, or cup of water, and, and for them it's like giving gold to you. It's the entirety of their heart, and they're expressing love and generosity through these simple, humble gifts. And Jesus is describing something similar here, that even the smallest token of overflowing grace, that it is precious in the sight of God. That's what grace does, and, and all our good works Jesus is trying to paint this picture. All our good works, even if you're a king in this life, you're a billionaire in this life, it's not enough to honor the matchless beauty of our God. And yet, even though it's like a kindergartner giving a drawing of a sunset as a gift to her parent, the parent sees the heart. And Jesus is painting this picture, even though it's the most humble gift, it's a refreshing gift. I love what Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says about Moses, and I think it speaks to what I'm trying to draw out here. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward, meaning he was looking ultimately to Christ as his reward. And therefore, even all the treasures of this world were were nothing compared to the surpassing beauty and glory of Christ. So I want to give you some 
practical questions each and every evening we're meant to have this feedback loop of just looking back and was my life today motivated by overflowing grace? Was, was it a, a, a fruit of overflowing grace? And so uh, these questions I often ask myself and I offer them to you. I hope they're practical and helpful. Um, did I have an attitude of depending on the Spirit today? Did I demonstrate that attitude with breath prayers throughout the day, just simple prayers in my heart. They could be silent and no one might hear them, but in my heart I'm talking to God and depending on his spirit. Did I ask God for wisdom in my decision-making today? Did I seek to be the best spouse, parent, friend, worker, and kingdom-minded soul because God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit have loved me first in all those ways? And if I stumble today, which I probably did, am I willing to acknowledge my sin quickly to God and the ones I offended and desperately rest in the love and redemption of Christ? See, God, he, he longs to shape us and challenge us and change us. And, and so as we have this overflowing grace feedback loop to, to see whether we are continuing to give because of grace operating in our lives, it's a good way, and what Jesus is saying, I want, to catch, want you to catch this. Jesus is promising, if we stay in that overflowing grace feedback loop, Jesus is saying, I want you to be assured of your salvation. I want you to be confident that, that you're headed in the right direction, that you're following me in a way that I'm becoming more deeply your underlying motive. And so I hope your heart is stirred. I hope you'll want to pray with me something similar to this, our Father in heaven. Just give me Jesus. I want to receive that wonderful gospel story again and again in my life, each and every morning. I want to wake up again to being called by you to be your representative online, in my chats, uh, at work, virtually, in my family, amongst my friends, just even when I'm alone and I want to uh, just experience your overflowing grace. Help me. Help me to just, just give me Jesus so that I can give Jesus. You see, when we begin to see Jesus as our great reward, that's when our hearts will continue to be transformed. We need to be able to see Jesus Himself, even as we've received his grace, we need to see him being rejected by man and forsaken by God on the cross so that you and I could receive this wonderful message and his grace and, in fact, the person of Jesus himself. We need to see Jesus on the cross in the most impoverished state and moment in all of time and history, hanging on the cross, naked and stripped, and crying, I thirst. And he was offered a sour sponge of wine. He rejected it. And even as he thirsted, he offered up the greatest gift so that you and I could have that cold cup of water. So that, as Jesus says in other places, so that you and I can experience the springs of living water flowing from our hearts. And we know Jesus explained that that is the Holy Spirit our Father in heaven, just give me Jesus and help me give Jesus.
I hope Jesus can become your increasing strength and motivation no matter whatever circumstances you face. God bless.